Tonight here at GZM, we're going to continue down our, our teachings through the Bible. Um, we're going to move forward into the book of Numbers, which, you know, if you're reading from the front of the Bible, if some miracle you've made it this far, here's another one of these books that you just want to quit reading because it's just a lot of information that for us it makes no sense. You know, and what's the point? Why is this in here? And it's just like you're reading what is going on. The reason the name of the book is that they did a census. You know, they're counting the people. And there's literally millions of them. And they're going by tribe and by family and by father and by son. And you're just reading name after name after name after name after name. And you're like, what's the point? You know, so... You know, this is another reason why, like, if you're a new Christian, that you should start in the New Testament. I really encourage you to start in the book of John. You know, bounce to Romans, jump around in the New Testament, stay in the New Testament so you've read the whole thing. Read Revelations last. And then, at that time, hopefully you've built some relationships with some people that have read through the Bible and that you begin to to read through the Old Testament because you're going to have a bunch of questions. You know, and there's a a passage in Hebrews that says, until the veil of Jesus has been lifted, you'll never understand the veil of Moses. And for what that means to me is until I understand my relationship with Jesus, until I understand New Testament scripture, I can't really grasp Old Testament stories because I haven't really met Jesus yet. So I don't see Jesus in the Old Testament. I see all these stories. I see all this stuff and these supernatural events that we would think are fairy tales but actually are are you know in our scripture so we believe them today even though some of these things as an early believer I had struggled with you know for me you know Santa Claus Easter Bunny Tooth Fairy went out the window Adam and Eve and Moses and Jonah and all those Old Testament stories got thrown out the window so as I focused on Jesus and I I wrapped my mind around the resurrection that if I can believe in this miracle, then, one, I'm saved, and two, that the other miracles that are proclaimed in the Old Testament and even in the New, I can then digest because I am believing in the resurrection of the dead. You know, and until I really believe that Jesus was resurrected and that I'm saved by that resurrection, some of those Old Testament stories are a little bit too much for me to wrap my mind around because I can't grasp the idea of a miracle-working God. Well, that being said, we're going to move forward. So numbers, technically, in Hebrew, you know, Hebrew tradition, the word was ben-id-bah, which means into the wilderness, which is kind of interesting, is that, you know, they're coming out of the world and they're traveling through the wilderness. You know, there's this journey that's taking place. Some say that it's like 11 days. Some say that it's like two weeks. It takes them 40 years, which is like a lifetime, you know, because God's doing a work into the depths of who they are. You know, it's basically like this really long camping trip with, you know, a, a lot of walking going on, you know. <clears throat> but the book in itself is kind of broken up into like five sections. You know, there's three locations that they're hanging out, two really long road trips, you know, and... You know, it kind of starts in Mount Sinai where Leviticus kind of leaves off. You know, they're still hanging out at Moses' you know, hangout spot where he grew up. 
It's where Moses, you know, ran into God for the first time with a burning bush, the Ten Commandments. They're still kind of hanging out at the base of the mountain. You know, they've learned, they've built the tabernacle. God's presence is hanging out in this tent. They've set up, you know, there's all these kind of laws and how they're supposed to come about and be in the presence of God. You know, the first people that are close and ministering to the people are the Levites. So they're, they're camped closest to the tabernacle. They're taking down the tent. They're moving the tent. They're taking care of the ark. You know, all these different things are going on, you know. And then, you know, Judah is the next tribe and so on and so forth. I have heard, I have seen a picture, you know, and I don't know how accurate this is, but I think that it's interesting that when they set up all the tents and the tribes and the, and the, you know, the way that they're set up, it's a cross. And the, temp, the tabernacle, which is God's presence, is in the center of that cross. You know, which is interesting when you look at some of these Old Testament, you know, as you're reading it, you don't ever see it. But when you look at some of the pictures of certain things, it's like, whoa, I totally see that. You know, and I'll be honest, I don't know how accurate that is. You know, as I was kind of looking through and studying this stuff, I saw a picture of it and I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know, somebody had made that, you know, so it may be accurate. It may not. You'd have to study it, you know, if, you know, but I thought it was cool. You know, so here's this Mount Sinai. They've been hanging out there. They have learned about the covenant with God. They've gotten the Ten Commandments. They've built this tabernacle, you know, and they're moving forward. You know, they're given all these instructions about how to be in the presence or be around the presence. They have all these purity laws. So as you're reading through the census and you're getting through all these laws, you're like, you know, sometimes you get lost in some of this stuff. You know, but... We are to follow God's presence. God fills this tabernacle. He fills our life. You know, the same power that raised Christ from the grave is the same power that dwells within us. And we have to learn how to nurture this relationship with the Holy Spirit and be guided by it. Because, you know, if we're guided by God's presence, you know, He leads us, you know, sometimes through the wilderness, sometimes into the wilderness. You know, we don't just jump from glory to glory. You know, from mountaintop to mountaintop, what I've learned is that there's valleys in between. And the only place that fruit is grown is in the valley. You know, and it's interesting, you know, that we have the same struggles that they had thousands of years ago. Is that God asks us to do stuff and we don't want to. You know, and they didn't want to. You know, it's very clear that God was moving very supernaturally in their lives. You know, that there's this burning you know, cloud of fire, you know, and and they're like, no, I don't want to do what it's asking me to do. You know, they didn't want to do what Moses was asking them to do. You know, and this is, you know, a symbol of the guide of today we have the Word of God. Today we have, you know, pastors and spiritual leaders, you know, and there's times that they ask us to do stuff and we don't want to do it, you know. And, you know, it's the same core issues that they struggled with way back when, you know, and, you know, they, they leave, you know, they leave Mount Sinai on this road trip, you know, and God, you know, is leading them and Moses is kind of leading them and there's like a million of them. And within moments, within days, they're complaining. They're complaining about Moses. They're complaining about God. They're complaining about what they're having to eat. They're complaining that they don't have enough water. They're complaining that they should go back to Egypt. They're complaining that they had it better in slavery. 
they're complaining this, they're complaining that, you know, and it's, they're just murmuring. And this starts to, to stir in their hearts. You know, and as we complain about God or leadership or our circumstances in our life, we begin to lose track of all the things that we should be grateful for. You know, and it's not that we don't have trials, but if I focus on the trial, if I focus on God's leaders, if I focus on what the pastor is doing, I'm missing what God's doing. You know, and God wants to work in our hearts and God wants to take us and challenge us. And, you know, today I'm a pastor. I am absolutely not perfect. I will say and do things on a regular basis that will aggravate you, potentially piss you off, and that you may disagree with. You know, and we can have conversations, and you can go to my leadership, and that's kind of how this godly system is put in place, that I am not perfect. Moses is not perfect. You know, but when we complain about leadership, and I have done it, I have had my issues with leadership in my church, and God has had to deal with my heart because, you know, they are in leadership. You know, and we see this in the book of Numbers that the, there's these rebellions, you know, that, that stir up, that, you know, there's the Korah rebellion, that, you know, they, he basically is like, well, I hear from God too, you know, who says that Moses gets to lead, you know, and he wants to take charge, which is the same spirit that Lucifer get kicked out of heaven for. You know, I want to be in charge. You know, I know what's best, you know, and, we have to realize that our complaining, you know, because we have this perfectionism spirit, you know, that we, we read in the book, big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that I am the chief critic. I know you want perfection just as I do. You know, and we can find fault with everybody around us. Meanwhile, we're not paying attention to our own areas that need to be changed. You know, and, you know, God has this system in place, this umbrella system, you know, and it's, you know, basically the principle is being undercover. You know, and as I submit to leadership, they're not perfect, but if I'm doing what they're asking me to do and I somehow something's wrong, God will deal with the leader. If I'm doing what I want to be doing and I'm not listening to the leader, God will deal with me. So I don't know about you. I would much rather have God be dealing with them than God dealing with me. So I've learned to submit and I've watched how God's moved in my heart. There has been times in my walk with God that I've been asked to do things or not do things, and instantaneously I am super pissed off and I want to run away. You know, who are you to tell me what to do? Yada, yada, yada. I have a million excuses. And God says, where are you going? And I'm like, touche. You know, you know, you are the only one that has the words of everlasting life. You know, when I, you know, in the past when I've thought about leaving Redeemer Church or stepping down from this group, you know, God is, is basically said, so what are you going to do now? And I'm like, well, I'm going to follow you. And he's like, well, I've put you here. So how is that supposed to work? You know, and so often we want to be super spiritual and do our own thing because God's not behaving. You know, and he hasn't learned that I am the Lord and he's supposed to submit to my ways. You know, and we have these issues with God because we don't want to release control. And we have these issues in our hearts. Because he doesn't realize how bad I want certain things to happen. And if he was really a good God, he would give me what I pray for. So basically, I want a genie in a Bible. And I'll rub my Bible a little bit. I don't want to read it. I just want to rub it. 
And when I rub it enough, and I say, Allah Baba, give me my wishes, then Jesus is supposed to, poof, give me what I want. You know, and if you find that scripture, let me know. But, to my knowledge, I'm supposed to submit myself on a regular basis. You know, in Luke 9, 23 and 24, it says, die to myself every day. And something that I was taught, that I picked up, you know, is that dead men don't complain. You know, and as I'm supposed to die to my flesh, the more I complain is that my flesh is really the one that's complaining. It's not my spirit. My spirit is willing to follow God wherever he wants to take me. My flesh, on the other hand, wants to run away from God, and that is sin. That's my sin nature. You know, and it's the same thing that they struggled with. It's the very same thing that we struggle with. It's no different. We're human, and we have a heart that wants idols, and we want our flesh to be satisfied, but our spirit wants to take us places that we have to deny our flesh and jump out into this abandoned, you know, this abyss of faith, and it's really difficult for us. You know, so there's these rebellions in their heart because they want to take charge. They don't like what Moses is doing. Although God has given them water, God has given them manna, God even gives them quail. You know, he gives it so much that it's, you know, it, it becomes disgusting to them. You know, but another thing that we see is that he only gives them enough for one day. You know, that, and of course, being human, they take more than that. And it, and it rots before their very eyes. You know, and this is also a symbol that we need Jesus, we need our relationship with God every single day. That we can't just be super holy on a Sunday and that's going to get us to next Sunday because I sin every day. When I ran and I run and gun, I sinned all day, every day. That one hour on a Sunday or one hour on a Friday and a Sunday is not enough for this sinner to have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus who's going to be able to tone my flesh down you know, I need to be pursuing him on a regular basis. I need to get into my word. I need to spend time in prayer. I need to get some worship music that really helps me get into his presence. And you have to be pursuing him in the sense that you feel satisfied daily by him. And if you're not satisfied by him daily, the complaining is going to start and the fault finding is going to start and it's going to get more and more and more because what you're really not getting is satisfied by God, so you think that your way is going to satisfy you or the leader is supposed to satisfy you or something that you get is going to satisfy you. And it's the same thing that they struggled with thousands of years ago. Well, after their road trip, they get to this place called Paran, you know, and, you know, they camp out there for a little while. And this is where you get the story of the 12 spies you know, Moses gets 12 guys and they're like, well, go check out the promised land. You know, and they, they travel over to the Jordan River. They cross the Jordan River. They go into the promised land and they're seeing all sorts of different things. They're seeing, you know, vegetation. They're seeing fruit. This is the land of milk and honey, which means prosperity. You know, that milk and honey to them were luxuries or delicacies. You know, and that they're seeing fruit like the size of their heads, you know, but they're also running into, you know, warriors and giants, you know, and there's, you know, they're running into people that would be similar to Goliath, you know, and there's, you know, they come back and they give this report. Well, 
two of the spies are like, yeah, let's do this. Because they have faith and they can see the prosperity and they've trusted God because they've saw how he's delivered them in other ways that he will deliver them from this next hurdle. Ten of them come back and complain and they're filled with fear and they start this frenzy and they're complaining about leadership and they're complaining about what God wants to do and then, you know, everybody else is like, you know, listening to the ten rather than the two and they start buying into, you know, let's run back to Egypt. It was easier back there. You know, and here's this, you know, this dilemma that we all face. You know, and we've prayed it. Most of us have prayed it. I would almost guarantee all of us have prayed it at some time. That if we pray in the name of Jesus, that he gives us the desires of our hearts. Well, when I was an early Christian, the desire of my heart is a lot different than the desire of my heart today. And through those years, the desires of my heart have been changing because the desire of my heart then would have been sinful And the desire of my heart today is to serve God and to do things His way. You know, however, that if we don't respond to the presence of God, if we don't respond in obedience to what He's saying, and we keep pushing away from Him, saying, I want, I want, I want, and we pray and we pray and we pray, He is faithful to us, and He gives us those desires. So He allows these ten to begin to create this corruption amongst the people. And he gives them the desires of their heart. And basically, they start wandering around in the wilderness because they're afraid to go where God wants them to go. But what you know I find is funny in this is that any moment in time, they could have went back to Egypt. They could have taken their family and, and, and said, I'm out. And it was literally an 11-day trip. They could have made it, you know, back to where they wanted to go, but they never ended up really going there. They always just kind of wandered around following Moses, complaining about what he was doing. At any moment, they could have went back to Egypt and got exactly what they wanted. They could have got put back into slavery under the Pharaoh because they didn't really want to go back to slavery. They just wanted what they wanted. And because God was doing things that they didn't understand or didn't want, that they were having a hard time following God in this way. You know, so, you know, when we refuse to go where God wants us to do, go, you know, we have this, you know, rebelliousness in our heart. You know, and as they're traveling through these places, you know, they're complaining about leadership and they're complaining about God, you know, and we have, you know, these these choices to make that we will follow him or not. <clears throat> you know, and the funny thing is that they never stop believing in him. They're just complaining about what he's doing. And I've, I've struggled with this too. You know, you know, I think that, you know, as I run into people, as we run into people, you know, although this world is crazy today, there's still a very small percentage that's a really an atheist. You know, and they have their own theology. You know, and really they're just angry at God. They've had a hard life. I get it. I was there once, you know. But everybody's got their own theology. And even amongst Christians, we have our own theology. And a lot of times that's really wrong. You know, we have a a, a false understanding of God because we haven't really spent time in our word. We're not really praying because God isn't answering our prayers because, you know, he's not giving us what we think we should be getting as fast as we think we should be getting it. 
you know, and when we read the Bible, we get convicted or challenged and we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I believe in God. I love Jesus. There's these expressions that we throw out there. But when it comes down to it, if we really loved him, we'd obey him. If we really loved him, we'd submit to him. And there's this war in our flesh. And that's where it really happens. It doesn't mean that we don't believe. It doesn't mean that we don't love. But we still love our flesh in our own control more than we want what Jesus has for us because we still struggle with trusting him. You know, and we create these little rebellions that it's okay that I do this little side thing. It's okay that I fall into this relationship. It's okay that I have this sin. It's okay that I don't do exactly what God wants. I'll do a little bit of what God wants and a little bit what I want. And we have these compromises with with him, which usually end up pretty bad for us. Well, you know, as they keep moving, you know, they're traveling, you know, they're, they're hanging out in Paran for a while, and they get on another road trip, you know, and they're moving on to Moab. You know, and uh, if you're not familiar with it, you know, Moab, you know, the history of Moab, you know, it dates back to Lot, and Lot was Abraham's cousin, you know, and as, you know, they came out of the Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot was leaving, you know, he ends up getting drunk, or his daughters get him drunk, and his daughters you know, seduce him, and they end up having kids with their dad. And one of those kids was named Moab. So Moab is this place of sexual immorality, incestuous, perversion. So now they're traveling through the world. Do we have any of that today? Do we have any of this perversion in our lives? Do we have any of this, you know, sexuality that's thrown at us on a regular basis? Every day. You literally cannot turn on the TV without, you know, seeing things that, you know, 50 years ago, they'd consider soft porn, you know, and we've become so adjusted to it and so, you know, calloused by it that, you know, we're in this wilderness, but yet, you know, we have to protect ourselves. (laughs) So here's these purity laws, you know, and they're traveling through these wilderness, you know, and there's these other tribes around them, you know, and they knew, you know, the other tribes, you know, the, the pagan tribes that are around them, knew that they couldn't get them to not believe in God. But they'd send their women over to get them to fall into sin. And when they fell into sin, then God's holiness would back up from them and create them really susceptible. Well, here's this guy, and he gets this girl, and he's like, you know, he's going to his tent right in front of one of the priests. And the priest's name is Phineas. And Phineas was like super holy, He grabs this spear and stabs the two of them to death through the tent. And God is like, woo, that's my boy. You know, you know, because he, he put God first. Now, obviously, if we just, you know, stab somebody with a spear today, we might get in a little bit of trouble. But, you know, in a sense, this is how radical we need to be to protect our purity. And I'm not saying go kill people. What I am saying is that we need to, to create some distance and, and, and honor God a little bit more in our purity because if we don't, you know, we too can be taking somebody we shouldn't be and shacking up in our tents, you know. So, you know, here's this, you know, this land that they're struggling with. It's very similar to what we're going through today. You know, another rebellion takes place. You know, Aaron 
and Miriam, which is Moses' brother and sister, you know, they too are moving with God. God used them mightily. They prophesy. They're leading. And they get complaining about Moses. You know, and they want to take charge. You know, and the last time Aaron was in charge, they're basically, they were worshiping a golden calf and having an orgy. You know, and it's like, you know, we have these times that we don't want to follow leaders. We don't want to listen to God. And usually what's at the root of that is I want some sort of sin. You know, and... You know, we think that we can be holy. We think that we can run away. We think we can do it our way, you know, and we don't run into the same problems that we would if we were, you know, just in the world like we used to be. You know, there's a reason that God's put us where we are and and we're growing the way we're growing. You know, if you go into some random person's garden and you just uproot some plant and you just put it on your back porch, most likely it's going to die pretty quickly. And even sometimes if you uproot some sort of plant and you even plant it in your backyard, sometimes it doesn't grow. You know, it was growing in the, in the fertile soil that it was in. And when you uproot it and change, sometimes if it's not God, you know, a lot of destruction happens. You know, so we have to be careful, you know, if we're, you know, running from God, that is, you know, that it isn't really running from God, that we're running to God. You know, in some senses, and it doesn't mean that we can't move, and it doesn't mean that we can't have change, but it should be a prayerful thing, and we should be be obedient to the Holy Spirit and the people that are speaking into our lives on some levels. You know, but that doesn't mean we're always going to agree either. You know, I've watched, you know, friends of mine, pastors, you know, have arguments about things. You know, they disagree about things. And, and it's important that we agree on the majors and we can have disagreements on the minors. And what does that mean? Is that we believe absolutely that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life, a sinless life. He died a death upon that cross for our sins. He was, you know, dead and buried for three days. And then he was resurrected, you know, and our sins and death was, were taken care of in that moment. You know, and, you know, this is the foundation of what Christianity is. And if you struggle with that, then you struggle with the bigger picture. You know, and I have many little side arguments with people all the time about, oh, God doesn't care about my sex life, and I have trouble with this, and I don't have that, and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, well, this is what the Bible says. You can take it up to God. You know, and I've learned that if it's in the Bible, then I should obey it to the best of my ability. You know, if it's not in the Bible... You know, we can have opinions about it, you know, and you can even take certain doctrines and certain scriptures and have disagreements. But at the end of the day, Jesus is Jesus, and we have sometimes to agree to disagree because it doesn't matter. Some of those things that we argue about doesn't matter if we're getting into heaven or not. You know, it doesn't really affect my relationship with Jesus or your relationship with Jesus. It might affect my relationship with you, but, you know. At some points, we have to love our neighbor by zipping it and realizing that, you know, we may disagree in the way certain things are supposed to take place. But God's in charge. God's put certain leaders in charge. And God even uses bad leaders at times. You know, that's a whole other story, you know, to bring correction and bring judgment upon us who are believers. Anyway, we're going to keep it moving. So here's this next rebellion that takes place. And God sends these snakes, and they're basically biting people, and they're dying, you know, and these vipers are, are poisoning people, you know, and, 
you know, a lot of people are dying, you know, because of the perversion and the complaining and things that are going on in the camp. You know, they're not doing a great job of following God. But, you know, we think, like, that's extreme. But we also have to realize that God has been loving and providing for them every day, you know, day in and day out for years. You know, it's not like, you know, you made one mistake and God, you know, is smiting you with his almighty smiter. You know, like, you know, he, he's, he's giving us grace and mercy on a regular basis. And at some point, he releases us to the desires of our heart, which is usually sin. And the consequence of that sin brings pain. You know, the wages of sin is death. But, you know, here's God, and he talks to Moses, and he tells Moses to make this bronze stake, you know, snake and put it up on a pole. And anybody that looks upon the bronze snake will be cured and healed, and the epidemic of vipers is wiped off the, you know, at the moment. You know, and, you know, it's interesting because, you know, the first initial sin came through a snake. You know, and here's this prophetic message of a snake cursed sin on a pole. You know, it's very similar of Jesus Christ taking upon our curse for sin through the snake upon the tree. You know, and there's this prophetic message that's, you know, thrown out here you know, in the book of Numbers, that if you don't understand Jesus and the cross and have read through the New Testament, you're going to, you know, fly right through that, even if you've made it that far, and you're not going to catch it. So here's one of these illustrations that until you understand Jesus, you're not going to see Jesus in the Old Testament the way that God wants us to see it, because the whole book is pointing to Jesus. You know, and that's what's crazy about this, is that there's all these prophetic messages all these prophetic symbols that are constantly pointing to Jesus, constantly pointing to the cross, constantly pointing to the, the solution to sin, and it's always Jesus. You know, and it's always being obedient to God, His plan's better than ours, trust Him, obey, and watch what happens. <clears throat> you know, so, you know, God's providing in all these different ways. You know, He's providing food and water, you know, and they're continuing to, to complain, you know, and they even go on to they wish they had died. You know, like, it's, they're being pretty dramatic. You know, we wish we would have died in slavery. You know, and it's like, you know, we get in this pity mode. If we're complaining on a regular basis, we feel real sorry for ourselves. You know, and we get the woes is meses, and, and God is not listening to me, and God doesn't love me, and maybe I'm not saved. And the progression of our complaining goes pretty deep. And the solution to that usually is sin. You know, and we can go pretty far, we can go pretty extreme in this. But, you know, here's this other crazy story in, you know, the end of, uh, of the book of Numbers. So here's this king of Moab. You know, they're pretty defiled, you know, there's lots of sex going on, you know, his, his name is Balak, he sees the Israelites coming through his territory, and he gets freaked out, you know, it's like a million people, you know, they're just kind of marching through, he, he knows the stories of what has happened in the past, and how they've defeated basically everybody, you know, that has ever come against him, God moves in these crazy ways, they, they know the story of what happened in Egypt, they know the story of, you know, the Red Sea, they've heard, the, you know, all these stories, so, you know, Balak is freaked out. 
So he goes and finds this pagan sorcerer, um, Balaam. And he like pays him a bunch of money and he's like, I need you to curse these people. Well, here's this tricky thing. Because Balaam is like, well, let me talk to this living God. And he's like, I will only say what he tells me to say. And ba- you know, Balak's like, sweet. I like that idea. Well, Balaam seeks God, even though he's a pagan sorcerer. And he speaks through him and pronounces a blessing upon the tribe of Israel. <laughs> and Balak... <laughs> Balak comes back and be like, yo, I just paid you all this money. And he's like, I realize you paid me all this money, but I told you I was only going to tell you, say what God told me to say. Now, here's somebody that doesn't even believe in God, not even like our God, but he believes in their God and he sees the blessing on his life. So he's like, well, let me talk to their God. So, you know, it's not like he even has a relationship. He's just kind of praying the very first prayer he's ever prayed to that God and God speaks to him. So, Balak comes back again, and he's like, all right, let's try this again. I'll give you some more money, and you've got to pronounce a curse. And he's like, well, I will talk to God, and I will say what he tells me to say. And he's like, all right, cool, but you got to curse him. He's like, I'm going to say what God tells me to say. He's like, all right. And once again, he pronounces a blessing over them. So Balak gets pretty upset again, comes back to him, like, yo, you're supposed to be like my boy. You're supposed to be this, you know, bad mamma jamma, pagan sorcerer, you know, witch doctor, whatever. You're supposed to be able to curse these people. You know, here's more money. You know, and once again, he says, well, I will say what God tells me to say. And once again, he pronounces a blessing over them. But in this blessing, you know, here's this prophecy. You know, pagan sorcerer doesn't believe in what we believe, is completely corrupted probably on every level. You know, he's living in Moab, so they're, their worship to their gods were sexual in nature. You know, they'd have Asher poles and, and fornication and temple prostitutes and all this stuff. So here's this person that we would classify not able to talk to God. And yet here he is pro- prophesying the coming of Christ. You know, and he talks about, you know, that there's going to be this victorious king who will bless all the nations that come from the tribe of Judah. You know, and once again, Balak is like, yo, I told you to curse him. And he's like, I told you, I was just going to say what God told me to say. You know, you know, I've been in meetings, you know, and there's a variety of different things that get thrown around in those rooms. But the God consciousness that moves in an AA meeting or an NA meeting is amazing to me. You know, and I've heard God move in all sorts of different people. And I've heard God speak to me through all sorts of unlikely sources that when I'm tuned in to God, I hear God. And it does not matter whose mouth it's coming out of, that if I'm tuned in to him, he speaks. You know, <clears throat> you know, there's stories in the Bible that he used angels. There's stories in the Bible that he used a donkey. You know, that I've been sitting in meetings and I've been sitting next to a guy that I would say is probably a bum, probably homeless, wasted. I can smell him. And he comes in and he drops a God bomb in the meeting. And I look over and I'm like, I don't know if anybody else caught that, but I know God was speaking to me. You know, I've been in Home Depot, you know, looking for stuff. And the guy that doesn't know anything about anything when it comes to home improvements. He just happens to be working there with an orange apron. 
and he leads me down an aisle that I've walked upon and, and tried to find the product that I'm looking for that's not there, and he says it is, and all of a sudden he starts talking to me about some other thing, and I look at him and I'm like, I think you're an idiot, but you just spoke for God. You know, and it's like, we never know where God might speak if we're tuned in. And so often we judge people by what they're wearing or where they're coming from or what they're going through or they don't believe in our God. You know, and God can speak through a variety of sources if we believe in a supernatural God that can speak. You know, and the more we're in tune with our relationship with God on a daily basis, the more we're in our word and the more we're praying, we get these little, you know, tidbits from him coming through all sorts of different sources. One way God speaks to me on a regular basis is in movies. You know, and if you've been to a movie with me, you've heard me crying. And it doesn't matter. It could be a Christian movie. It could be Marvel. You know, and, you know, I have gotten drop-kicked by the Holy Spirit in the most unlikely of places. You know, and there's two movies that are at the top of that list, and one of them is the first Thor, and the other one is the, you know, the Christmas Guardians. It was the cartoon with Jack Frost and Santa Claus had a bunch of tattoos. I cried through that whole movie. And I saw it like three times, and I cried every single time. If we were to watch it tonight, I guarantee I'd probably start crying. There is a prophetic message in that movie. Maybe it's just for me, but it blasts me every time I, I watch it. You know, and Thor was the probably the hardest I've ever cried was at the end of the first Thor movie. And I cried so violently in the back of that theater that once all the credits and the lights had come on and everyone's out of the theater, I'm still sitting there crying. And I'm like, you have to, like, leave this place. Like, one, you've run out of tissues, you know, and you're a mess. And, like, I literally get up out of my chair. I'm crying. There's snot coming out of my nose. I'm walking through the lobby of the marquee. I'm grabbing tissues. Like, i got to get out of this place. I'm driving home still crying because of what God had done and spoke to me personally at the end of that movie. You know, so we have to be open for God to speak to us. You know, God is a living God. You know, God has created everything. And that He can use nature. He can use people. He can use situations. He can use secular media. He can use the bum on the street. He can use a pagan sorcerer if He wants to. Because he's God. And we have to stop limiting him and his ability to move in our lives. Because we limit that he's only supposed to move in certain ways. And if he doesn't move in the way I think he's supposed to move, he's not moving. And he's not moving, so let me help him. And last time I've helped him, it didn't go too well. And I don't know about you, but I would probably say it didn't help you much either. So we have to learn to hear him, trust him, follow him, and, and, and really begin to trust him. You know? You know, the the end of this book, you know, comes, you know, and there's this thing going on. Because here's Israel, they're in this valley, you know, and they're complaining. 
And God's giving them mercy and blessing. He's providing food. He's providing water. He's providing, you know, it says that their sandals don't even wear out. They've been walking for 40 years. Like, these sandals don't even last two years. You know, I wear them all through the summer, you know, and I have to buy new ones. You know, it would be pretty cool if God could supernaturally make my sandals never wear out. But they're missing it. They're missing all God's provision. And on top of that, there's someone that's casting curses upon them, and God's like, no, I got that too. And they're not even aware of it. God's protecting us in ways that we're not even aware of. You know, and there's times that we give the enemy way too much credit. You know, he's already been defeated. And we need to keep focused on God and keep obeying God and walking through it and praying and talk to him and doing the best we can to follow his ways, even if we disagree. You can tell him, I don't think this is going to work, and then take a step. And and when you get on the other side of it, and you're like, damn it, it worked. You know, because our ego and our pride has to be surrendered to God. We are not God. And we have to begin to trust him, even when the trials and the crazy and the storm, and this has happened and that has happened, and this isn't going my way, and the leader isn't doing this, and da-da-da-da-da-da, and we have a million things that we can complain about, God is still God. And he is providing for us. He's protecting us. The last I knew, my life is way better today than it's ever been. Even when a bad day comes. Even when a trial comes. Even when the circumstances come my way. I can go back a number of years. And I am so grateful for everything that I have today. And my worst day today has nothing compared to 15 years ago. You know, And we have to remember where we came from. And not ever want to go back there. You know. So here's this God that's protecting them and blessing them, even in their, you know, in their murmuring and complaining. You know, and the book comes to an end, you know, with Moses' final address to the, to the Israelites, you know, and he's giving them warnings and he's proclaiming blessings, you know, and, and Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land because of his own rebellion. You know, that, you know, at the last thing he gets so frustrated with, you know, the Israelites with all the complaining and, you know, it never ceases to end. And, you know, he acts out in a sense and he hits this rock twice. And we would think like that's not this big of a deal. But once again, it's what he said, not really what he did. Because he's like, do we have to keep? So he's putting himself in this place of God. He's putting himself in this place of you need to follow exactly what I'm saying. And God is like, nope, I'm the only one, homeboy. You know, we got to remove you in a sense. And we think it's like this big deal, like why didn't, you know, God, you know, used Moses all these years. But there's times that godly leadership can do things or say things that aren't right. You know, and, you know, we have to, in the end, look to God. You know, and God doesn't ever lead us wrong. You know, so it's important that we realize, you know, that in our pride, we do the same thing that Moses did. That I think that I'm right. I speak for God. You know, I tell other people that they need to listen to me. You know, and I get myself out of balance. You know, and God will humble us real quick. You know, there's a, you know, an expression or a saying is that either, you know, we can humble ourselves and God exalts us. Or if we exalt ourselves, God will humble us. And I don't know about you. I would much rather humble myself than have God do the humbling because 
he don't mess around. You know, I've watched some people that, you know, think that they need to be right or do things their way. And I sit back and watch how their lives just completely get dismantled and everything falls apart and they end up doing crazy things and, and then they blame God for it. And it's like, yeah, you started going south a while ago, but you didn't want to turn around. You didn't want to take correction. You didn't want to listen. You didn't want to submit certain things. You wanted to do it your way. You were right. You wouldn't listen. And the consequences that you have is the desire of your heart. And God, at some point, lets you have what you really, really want. And that's some other idol that you want to worship that isn't Jesus. You know, so it's important that we stay humble that it's important that we stay connected. It's important that we turn our complaining into prayers. It's important that we're constantly pressing into Jesus, learning what he has to say. What does his word say? You know, what instruction has he given us? That we stay in this place of humility to the best of our ability, but we're being obedient to what he's asking us. You know, and through that, there, you know, there's this, you know, this saying that principle brings promise. You know, if I live by biblical principles, if I live by recovery principles, promises start to show up in my life in spite of me, that I'm living according to what the Word is asking me to do, and God starts to take care of certain things. You know, if I'm stepping outside of that, I'm on my own, and I'm tired of doing things my way. You know, you know, I am so tired of getting what I want, because what I want always brings me more pain. You know, I've come to the place in my life that I have, I know for a fact that I have a 100% track record of destroying everything I touch. With Jesus, without Jesus, you know, I can be real spiritual and destroy some stuff because I'm forcing my will. You know, and when I surrender to Jesus and do it his way, even when I completely disagree, he has a way of blessing me and taking care of things far beyond my wildest imagination. You know, and when I really look at it, the things I'm usually complaining about are really small in nature compared to what God is doing and already what He has done in my life. And so we need to keep promise or keep proclaiming, you know, His promises over our life. Keep trusting in Him. Keep praying and keep moving forward. You know, there's times that we have to learn to be still and let the storm pass. And there's times that we need to get moving and, and there's some action that we need to start you know, applying to our lives because we can't just keep, you know, doing nothing about certain areas that God's asking us to do something about and expect that breakthrough's going to happen. You know, there's a this give and take. You know, there's things that God does supernaturally, suddenly, and there's other stuff that he works out in us through discipline and, and change happens over time. You know, and, you know, he used this wilderness season to break off the world. Break off their complaining. Break off their rebellion. Break off their idol worship. Break off their fornication. Break off their impurities. You know, break off, you know, all their different ways that they wanted to worship pagan gods and have some God too. You know, and he used the hardships to break off all the other stuff, but he also used the blessings and the promises and the provision and the security that they had to show them that he has given us mercy and grace all through our wilderness seasons too. You know, and as we keep focused on Him, He keeps taking care of us. Amen? Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we just thank You so much. We thank You for all that You're doing in our lives. Lord, help us to recognize Your your blessings and Your provision and Your security and how You've protected us from ourselves and from other people. 
Lord, we know that you are faithful to us even more than we realize. Lord, so help us to keep our eyes upon you. Help us to pursue you. Help us to to be so engulfed by your word and your presence, Lord, that we have no desire for anything else, Lord. And if any of us are struggling right now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to to let go of what we need to let go of so we can take a hold of you and and follow you and chase after you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.